בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, שבוע טוב, שבוע מבורך. We're uh, starting a new week, בעזרת השם, it's going to be a big week, lots of Torah, lots of Kedusha. Uh, we are continuing our series of the Jewish Ashkafa, based on a sefer by the uh, Chazonish, the Chazonish HaKadosh, is a sefer Emunah V'Bitachon, but we're uh, delving into it and delving into it because everything is in it. Uh, as we uh, delve into each one of the Sfarim of the... Uh, of the sages we see that there's a lot more than meets the eye with each and every verse that we study and uh, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. So um, we have a little bit of a update this week Bezal Hashem is going to be a, a, the, the big event on Wednesday night for any of you that are uh, uh, planning to travel here uh, from different places I know there's some people coming from Seattle, from Texas, from New York uh, it's definitely going to be well worth it. Uh, be a lot of uh, interesting uh, people, interesting Torah Be'ezrat Hashem. There'll be some free gifts, a raffle. Lots of uh, great stuff at the shiul. Um, we'll actually even have a couple of uh, surprise guests that uh, will uh, uh, will speak and give us some chizuk. Uh, and Be'ezrat Hashem also have a uh, new thing that uh, we just released uh, here in the United States. This has been actually in the uh, in Israel for uh, the last month, Baruch uh, Hashem bringing a lot of light, causing some uh, uh, some people's heads to roll, but Baruch uh, Hashem, it's here in the United States. We have two new kuntresim by uh, our own dear Rav Ephraim. Uh, one is the kuntres gerim, and one is the kuntres agenom al pirbal shem tov. These two kuntresim, of course, they're in Hebrew. Uh, we... Um, uh, published them in the last uh, year, but uh, now they're hard copy and here in the United States Anyone that wants to read them they're available on our website for free uh, But now you're also going to be able to get some of them to give them out in your community uh, For those of you that want to know all of the wonderful things uh, uh, That uh, were discussed by the sages about converts uh, This Kuntres Agerim uh, has it Baruch Hashem Lots of people uh, have uh, really woken up to see what the significance of converts are. Uh, in the Jewish world, unfortunately, it's a, uh, uh, some people know a lot, some people know absolutely nothing, and unfortunately, some people are very much proud to be against converts, even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu is for the converts. Uh, and they even publicize that they're against it, and uh, they think that this is giving their community or keila chizuk, uh, but uh, anyone that's aware of what's going on behind the scenes knows that this is quite the contrary. Nonetheless, this Kuntres uh, Agirim is 100% Da Torah. It has nothing to do with my personal opinion or Rabbi Ephraim's personal opinion. It's just endless sources of what the sages said in the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu about converts. Bezot Hashem, when time comes, we'll also publish these things in English. But of course, we have to start with what we have. So if you have a uh, community with Hebrew speakers, this uh, is definitely a, a must. Um, and Bezot Hashem will have them uh, added to our Kiruv store uh, soon. Uh, but anyone that uh, shows up at the event will have the ability to get some of these uh, for free, of course, uh, as that's always the best price. Um, the second one is the Kuntres Agenom Al Pial Baal Shem Tov. This is obviously the Kuntres that has uh, shaken up a lot of people 
especially in the Hasidish world, in the uh, Hasidish world, whether it be Hasidish of uh, 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 Satmer, Tanz, Bubel, or you talk, you know, some of the others like Chabad and uh, Breslev, that were woken up by what their teacher, uh, the Baal Shem Tov, and his main students uh, actually discussed about Genom. Uh, in fact. Uh, uh, a lot of people thought that uh, the the talk of Genom was not even mentioned by the Baal Shem Tov uh, and uh, Rabbi Zusha or Rabbi uh, uh, um, uh, 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 every one of them actually. I'm just thinking of who didn't. Every one of them mentioned it. Uh, every one of the sages mentioned it, but. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know this. I actually had a discussion with a, uh, a lifelong Chabadnik, uh, maybe about a month ago, and uh, that uh, said that uh, he was certain that uh, the talk of Gehenom was never mentioned by the Baal Shem Tov. And I told him, what, how many proofs do you want? And he said, even one. I said, how, ask for a different number. I said, no, one is enough. One will already show me. I said, how about a whole book full of it? And he said, no, that's not possible. So I said, okay, so if you uh, get this book that shows you that the Baal Shem Tov and all of his main Talmudim, Magidmi Mezrich, Rabbi Zusha, Rabbi Elimelech Milizhinsk, all of the great uh, Hasidim have mentioned it, uh, you're going to do tshuva? He said, of course. So, Baruch Hashem, he got the uh, kuntres, and Bezat uh, Hashem, he's going to do tshuva. So this kuntres is also going to be available at the event on Wednesday night. And Bezat Hashem, we're also going to be adding it to the uh, store. Uh, so uh, for all of you that are getting stuff from the store, if you would please uh, not forget to send us pictures of people taking the books and the CDs and the USBs and the different things, uh, perhaps a, uh, uh, share it with us so we can share it with the world and encourage people to do this also in other places. But Hashem, we have a lot of work coming from the store uh, and uh, a lot of Chizuk Baruch Hashem. So... Uh, with that being said, uh, lastly, of course, I remind people again, we still have some of the USBs left of the Tikkun Abrit. This is called the Shovavim uh, package on the uh, Kiruv store. And uh, there's actually more on order, Bezat Hashem, because Baruch Hashem, a lot of demand. All right, so we're going to continue uh, what we've been uh, uh, working on by the Chazonish uh, and try to figure out uh, where where we uh, you know can fix ourselves, where we can fix our communities, our kila, and so on. And the Chazonish over the uh, last couple of weeks, we've been reviewing it in this uh, chapter three, section thirty. We've been going over paragraph by paragraph of how the Chazonish is talking about a uh, significant disease uh, of the uh, neshama of the spirit that uh, where the evil inclination, the Yetzirah, uh, does whatever he can in order to eliminate, in order to distort, in order to destroy altogether the, uh, the belief that uh, we have in Chachamim. Uh, because once a person does not have confidence in the Chachamim, whether they be Chachmenu Zichonam Livachal, Chazal of the Gemara, or it'll be Chas Shalom, uh, you know, even Moshe Rabbeinu, or it'll be even the uh, Rishonim from 800 years ago, 900 years ago, or perhaps uh, the, the Shulchan Aruch, or if you're talking about the Achronim, 
uh, where you know the the ones in the last hundred years or so, where you're talking about the Ravovadias of the world, of the uh, the, uh, the the Stiplers and the the uh, Raveliashivs and the Chafetz Chaims, the the goal of the Satan is to eliminate uh, our emuna in them, but the Satan does not uh, work like a uh, like a gangster that just comes to uh, shoot, kill, and leave. The, the Satan is much smarter than that, where he chips away at the belief that people have it starts with one small thing and it grows uh grows further actually before i forget which i did forget but Hashem, i just forget uh, remembered uh tonight's you will be for a refuah lema for rabbanit levana bat sara rabbi frayim ben shulamit rabbanit sara bat anat avi mori david ben esriya uh imi morati doris bat jora orit bat ilana uh, and also for Atzlacharaba, Marsha Bat Julie, Ayla Bat Marsha, Samuel Ben Marsha, Alexander Ben Marsha, Sephus Ben Marsha, uh, Louis Ben Marsha, uh, Shaul Ben Farzane, uh, Itro Ben Avraham, Oshri Ben Doris, Gabi Ben Doris, Elad Ben Doris, and uh, all of Am Israel. Bezat Hashem will have Atzlacharaba, Bekol Maaseyadim, and also all of the righteous Noahites that are continuing to do the will of Hashem. Uh, each and every single day uh, trying to get closer to Hashem. So back to what we're talking about. The Chazonish is, uh, is in essence teaching us how the Satan chips away at people's beliefs. He, uh, the, the, the Satan doesn't just tell us a person, listen, don't believe in Moshe Rabbeinu, don't believe in the Rambam, don't believe in this. No, no. He chips away. First he shows you some type of picture or video or, or perhaps even a, a, a distorted verse in the Torah or in the Gemara, something that's easy to misunderstand, uh, something that the missionaries, Imach Shimam Vizicham, one for Israel, do on a regular basis, and the rest of the missionaries do on a regular basis, where they teach their community, and unfortunately, uh, some people from our own communities also delve into the uh, uh, the, the, the heretical uh, teachings of the Christians, I've heard from several Jews that they like to watch some of these, uh, you know, mega church speakers speak, uh, and they figure that they could, uh, you know, not uh, 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 take the avodah zarah. They're just going to take whatever is good out of there. But uh, unfortunately, our sages have told us such things are forbidden. In fact, delving into the books of such people, uh, a person would lose their olamaba. Uh, anybody that looks at such books of the heretics. Uh, loses their Olam Abba. What is losing their Olam Abba is? Just watch my shiur about Gehenom and you'll understand what losing Olam Abba means. The point being is that people, for whatever reason or another, fall into the trap of the Reshaim, of the heretics. Sometimes those heretics are coming from Christianity uh, that's obvious, sometimes not so obvious, where they're Hebrew speakers, they're uh, native Israelis, they, they seem like nice people, they served in the army, blah, 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 all that stuff. Sometimes those heretics come with a, uh, uh, you know, a talk show, a podcast. They're very popular. They have millions of followers. And unfortunately, as we all know well, well, too well, sometimes those heretics come with a, uh, with a uh, rabbinical uh, title. Uh, they, they're a rabbi. They're even a dayan. And Rabotai uh, Karim, we've uh, seen when, well too many times how the, uh, the, the heretics know how to get into the heart. The Satan does whatever he does in order to have their heresy pierce the listeners' hearts to, to get them to start feeling things and thereby thinking things. And the, uh, the uh, Chazonish, 
is teaching us how the critical job the critical job of a jew the critical job of someone that has fear of the almighty is to make sure that they always realize that the sages are not like the regular people they never will be like the regular people you cannot compare yourself to one of the sages not the sages of the gemara and not the sages of today it's just simply uh, not this it's not a fair comparison it's not the right comparison and one of the main things that the christians and the rest of the heretics try to do is actually to humanize the sages in such a fashion where they say they're just like you and me you are subject to uh to uh lust and all types of desires they're subject to lust and all types of desires and also one one they also do this with hashem himself hashem Ishmo. they they humanize god humanizing god has been something that's been done since the beginning of time uh the the uh the, the whole concept of idolatry comes from the uh from uh people's desire to humanize god because once you humanize god then you in essence can make yourself into god and it all comes from not just ignorance but arrogance so the chazonish is in essence trying to uh uh really make a uh, spiritual surgery on our hearts to make us realize that one of the strategies that has worked well too many times uh way too many times uh on people is when people lose their belief in the sages by seeing something and misunderstanding it misinterpreting it and unfortunately going a uh, you know having a domino effect of uh, of uh uh after that and uh you know the uh, the key that the chazonish started with is for a person to know that they have to believe they're actually obligated to believe that there is no personal interest that's powerful enough to incline the heart of a real chacham in and have him pervert justice meaning that one of the things that we see especially in the last couple of years with this whole uh conspiracy uh, uh fanaticism that people have with the coronavirus or with the uh with the uh, uh uh the so-called vaccine that they have out there is the the fascination that people have with this a uh you know what's happening behind the scenes how it's all a conspiracy the the really powerful rich people are there to kill everybody and they're benefiting out of every person dying and blah 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 and all this craziness that people have in their head and again this is nothing new the new thing is is that they've thrown the rabbis under the bus along the way where you have many religious jews losing their olamaba because their own delving into the forbidden the 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 uh, the, the nonsense of the uh, uh, of the world uh, instead of delving into Akadosh Baruch Hu, his Torah, his Kedusha, and, and, and just simply listening to the Chachamim without uh, uh, trying to become something that we're not, delving into the uh, so-called scientific world, the philosophical world, the business world, and everything in between has led many people astray by simply saying that any rabbi that speaks against XYZ scientist is a rabbi that surely has been bribed has been bought off or he doesn't know what he's talking about he's ignorant yeah but what about the fact that this rabbi is one of the biggest rabbis in the world 
oh, he may be good in Torah, but he doesn't know anything about science, and so on and so forth. And, and, and talks like that are just the beginning of a person losing their faith in the entire Torah Kula. It starts with a rabbi, and eventually it goes to the whole thing. And unfortunately, this has been a, uh, an epidemic, much worse than Corona or any of the uh, uh, other things that have stemmed from it that has caused a lot more people to lose their eternity than any virus could. And uh, one of the things that Satan does is that he tries to make people question the Chachamim by first trying to make you believe that you are on the same level as this Chacham. You are human, he is human. You have two legs, he has two legs. You have a eyes, ears, nose, and mouth, he has eyes, ears, nose, and mouth. You read, he reads. You have a brain, he has a brain. According to science, you both have the same amount of, uh, of uh, uh, electrons and neurons and this one and that one and all the different atoms and everything that, in essence, makes you human. You have the same. So, okay, so he read some more books than you. You believe that if you read books like he does, you'll be just like him. You can complete the shahs, you can complete this, and you can be a gadol. Now again, yes, everybody can be something special. But while you're not thinking that you are on the same level, thinking that you could even have a debate with such a chacham, is simply a, 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 a poison that you're feeding yourself. And it's a poison that's being given by the Satan to people on a daily basis and has caused people their eternity. And it all starts with feelings. Feelings that turn into thoughts and thoughts that of course are controlled by feelings are generally not the right thoughts. Now, the, the first thing that the, uh, 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 the people try to do is to make themselves think that they are just like these, uh, these Dayanim, these Gdole Adol, these big rabbis, perhaps even more knowledgeable than them because you read more scientific works and you more, read more philosophical work. Maybe he knows more Torah, but you're more learned in this or you're more learned in that. And you figure that since you have more in this and he has more in that, that kind of makes you guys peers. And unfortunately, there's no nothing further from the truth. And but the Satan will make you believe that. And little by little, the Satan will make you start questioning the great sages of this and then the previous generation. Where suddenly you're going to open up a book, or of course, one of the people that has already fallen will uh, for the Satan's trap will send you something on the internet, whether it be a lecture that says something that doesn't agree with your uh, with your agenda, doesn't agree with your predisposition about morality, doesn't agree with your predisposition about uh, the observance of mitzvot, and so on and so forth. And even though it's being said in the name of one of the sages from 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago, since you already on, are on that page that they are just human, like what's the difference between the human of today versus the human of 2000 years ago and unfortunately this is how you see the heretics always deteriorate always deteriorate they increase their heresy and they always deteriorate in their spirituality where in the beginning of their heresy they would usually start distorting specific things 
But later on, they just simply distort everything and they start arguing with everything just for the sake of arguing. They simply park themselves on the wrong side, on the opposite side. And this, of course, we've seen with the Slifkins and the Mesas and the Manises and so on and so forth. It's, it's, it's something that is sad to see because you see that this person that is Hashem's son burying themselves into a hole that's almost impossible to get out of. And I only say almost impossible to get out of because we have an example from the Tanakh, Menashe, burying himself in a very, very deep hole that he actually got out of. Now, of course, he also had the merits of his father, Chizkiyahu, that was a very big tzaddik. I'm not exactly sure who these people have to, to rely on, but nonetheless, they're still the descendants of Avraham Avinu, and hopefully those merits will allow them to do tshuva. But until then, just like uh, each and every single Jew that prays Amidah every day does, we do the same thing. Part of Amidah is to pray for the people that are enemies of Hashem, that are missionaries, that are heretics, to die. This is what every single Jew does. If you pray Amidah, you pray Alaminim Valamalshinim Loti Tikva. You pray for those heretics that we have exposed to die. You pray for all of the people that make purposeful sins to die. Now you say, no, but I don't believe that. Okay, then go find a different religion, buddy. This is part of every Jewish person's prayer. Now, do we want them to die? No, we want them to do tshuva. But Chazal said, you have to pray for them to die. Why? Because whichever one happens first. If they do tshuva, good, that's the best. That's the ideal. But if they're not going to do tshuva, it's better they die. Not because we want their kids to not have a father or their wives not to have a husband or, or anything like that. No, but rather it's actually better for them. To die so they make less sins. Simple. Because even though they've made a lot of sins, which already gets them to gain on seventh level, guess what? The seventh level gets even worse. It gets even worse with every sin. It gets even worse. There's no end to the punishment, just like there's no end to the reward of the righteous. And a person that understands that the 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 limitations that people think with are not limitations that Hashem operates with realizes that it's better off for the wicked heretics to die than for them to continue living if they're not going to do tshuva. Hence the reason why Chazal instituted a ad addition to our Amidah, which is to pray against the heretics, which was originally started by praying against the people that went to Christianity. But nonetheless, of course, there's other heretics too. Now, the key is to understand that this type of talk is not going to be found in most local synagogues. And by most, all of you know what I mean by most, it's almost everyone. Unfortunately, that's a reality. Why? The answer is bribery. That's the answer, bribery. What kind of bribery? What, the, the, the people are getting, the rabbis are getting bribed? The, the, the community is being bribed? The, uh, the, uh, the, the board of directors are being bribed? Uh, you are getting bribed? Everybody, sometimes yes. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes not so obvious. Sometimes it's a bribe with money. And sometimes it's a bribe in other forms. The goal of today is to try to learn from the Chazonish what is bribery. Are we being bribed, each and every one of us? Are we bribing somebody? 
Do we truly understand the magnitude of what bribery is? Not just to society, but also what is the perspective of HaKadosh Baruch Hu on, on bribery? Everyone knows that bribery uh, blinds the eyes of the, of, of the wise, but do they truly understand what that means? Do they understand what HaKadosh Baruch Hu uh, 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 why he allows bribery at all if it's so bad if he considers it an abomination no different than homosexuality of being an abomination or an abomination uh, that uh, of bestiality and all of the disgusting things out there bribery is along with them also considered an abomination do we truly understand why it's an abomination we could all agree that bribery is bad that's also by the way part of the Torah that everyone knows bribery is bad including the ones that receive it and including the ones that give it but do we really understand how bad it really is let's try to understand so now Rabotai, the way that the satan infiltrates the hearts of every person that allows himself to open up his heart for the satan is by trying to bribe him with a little bit of self-respect a little bit of a confidence that they are not below anybody else even if that anybody else may be the greatest out there and many times people think they can challenge the experts this happens both in the Jewish world and of course in the secular world in the secular world it happens a lot of times with people with athletes uh, people think that just because they can throw a ball into a basket, they can be just like Michael Jordan or some of these other basketball players. It's been a very long time since I've actually watched a basketball game, so Michael Jordan is pretty much the, uh, the, the last one I remember. So people think that just because they can throw a basket into a hoop, then they could beat Michael Jordan. People think that just because they could hit a little ball in a in a big uh, field of grass into a little hole they can beat i don't know tiger woods or something people think just because they can run really fast they are faster than uh, some of the running backs in the nfl people think all the time and sometimes the uh, the the experts the professionals entertain these idiots and say okay you know what you think you could do it let's go and they challenge them and it's always a a, a big mockery of this person because it's never in history has there been such a person coming and beating the experts when they're at their prime uh it's uh, sometimes they may beat them after they've retired or something like that but generally speaking it's always an embarrassment it's always you see that the person that thought that he was so skillful he is at the same or even better level than the expert that he sees on television is not even enough to be his water boy is not even enough to hold the towel to him and needless to say the same thing goes on wall street many times you have people that you know they trade their stocks or bonds or whatever it is they do on the internet and they come up with a couple of winners on the you know they get a couple of stocks good they make a couple of dollars and they figure oh, i could already manage money if i could do 10 percent on this deal or if i could you know then i could do that every month and if I can make 10% a month, that's it. I'm 120% a year. I'll be the biggest hedge fund world in the world within the next couple of years. And actually, I've had these conversations. I even had a guy that used to come to my shul and tell me, listen, how hard can it possibly be to make 1% a day? How hard can it be? 
if I make one percent a day and you start actually giving me the calculation as if I need it as if I haven't heard this craziness in my life if I can make one percent a day I do it you know what 20 days a month so I make 20 percent you actually said 30 percent you didn't calculate weekends but anyway 20 percent a month I do that the whole year I make a couple of hundred percent I'll be the biggest investor I'll be the richest guy in the world with no time and this is actually logic that people have like they actually think it's that easy to be an expert it's that easy to invest in a stock market every joe that has a little bit of money that he got from his bar mitzvah or from some uh, some inheritance or wedding money or even a deal that he made and, and something else thinks that he can dip that money into the market and oh god forbid that the first thing he invests in actually works out because that makes him think he's going to be an expert he's going to be a professional and guess what he's quitting everything else i'm going to become a full-time investor i love it when people tell me listen rabbi i know you like torah and everything but can you talk business i said i'm sorry i don't talk business no more no no but you still delve into the market i said no i don't delve into nothing i delve into torah i delve into helping people that's what i delve into no but can you at least tell me some stuff about the market no i can't I mean, which which word out of the first two sentences do you understand well listen i like to delve into the market and i like to do this and i like to do that do you agree with the options and this and then they start chip chatting and i'm like how about this don't do it why not why you don't agree with it no you don't know what you're talking about you should not invest in the stock market you should put your money in some etf and run away to to i don't know to mars go back in 10 years from now hopefully you still have some money left you should not be in the stock market why you don't know what you're talking about and guess what most people that invest in the market don't know what they're talking about including the brokers including some of the managers including the people that are investing including the people that made money guess what yes 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 most people don't have a clue what they're talking about that doesn't mean that they can't make money they can the problem is when you start selling yourself the line thinking that you actually know what you're talking about that's the worst condition nonetheless many people have been making a fortune in the markets and thinking that they are now expert investors May Hashem have mercy on their precious little souls once the market crashes and they realize that uh, they didn't know anything, not back then, not today, and not after. But what can you do? You could warn people so much. Either way, this happens in a secular world. People see a hedge fund manager on TV making a zillion dollars, making a deal. They figure they made a deal that's even bigger. Okay, it's not as much money. They didn't make, you know, 10 billion dollars by shorting some stock or by buying this company but they made more percentage than he did he only made 40 percent on a deal they made 400 percent on some penny stock surely they are a better investor than this carl icon or this eddie lampert or these other experts out there because they made 400 percent. they know more than them guess what you don't the sad part is you're not going to listen to me anyway this is a reality what i hope is that you will listen to me on the part of the torah why because the part of the torah has a lot more weight on your eternity than the part about business you see the part about business who's going to decide one way or another whether you're going to make money or you're not going to make money that's also kind of technically torah but nonetheless you know people that think that they make money in the market on their own don't really believe this part of the torah 
So let's just cut to the chase. You see, if a person doesn't listen to business advice or, or, or any type of other, you know, professional advice, doesn't make much of a difference. But if they don't listen to Torah advice, that could be the deciding factor of whether they're going to have heaven or hell. Gan Eden or Genom. And I don't just mean eternity. I mean in their own life. Like their life, their marriage, their parenthood, their, 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 their everyday life. That's what is the difference. When a person does not listen to Torah advice, they're simply a fool. Because they're assuming that they know better than not only a Kadosh Baruch Hu, but the sages that a Kadosh Baruch Hu put into this world to give us a interpretation of what he wanted us to know. Now, the Chazonish has fought tooth and nail against all types of people that were heretics of their own right. Every great sage did. What we see today is that the average person that doesn't even know Aleph Bet or even read the Chumash from beginning to end as an adult. Perhaps they read it as a kid in, I don't know, uh, in junior high school, but as an adult, they never actually read the full Chumash. But for whatever reason or another, they feel the, they are in the same position to disagree with the Rambam, disagree with the uh, Chazonish, disagree with Rabbi Akiva, disagree with Rabbi Vadya. Even though they don't know anything, they feel like they do. Why? Because they read an excerpt or they watched a few videos and they feel that they are in the same position. Now, of course, these people are already drinking the poison of the Satan, but they don't have to continue. And it's important for us to know when we're doing that. Because if you don't realize whether you're drinking or you're not drinking the poison, most likely you're already swimming in it. Now, the Chachamim taught us that bribery is not necessarily something that just comes in the form of money, although it's something that the Torah concerns itself in different ways, such as when a person simply does not want something to happen because it's going to have an impact on him. So when it comes to money, the uh, Chachamim teaches in the Gemara, Masechet Sanhedrin, that one of the laws of the Torah is that they do not have a king or a Kohen Gadol as the people that will decide whether there's going to be a leap year or not. Because they are automatically, by the nature of their job, biased. They have, in essence, a bias where the king that's going to decide to add a month to the year or not, the Jewish calendar, of course, he has to think of how much this extra month is going to cost him because he has to finance it, meaning pay his uh, soldiers another month of salary. The, the Kohen Gadol, on the other hand, is not worried about money. The Kohen Gadol is not worried about there being an extra month of the year and not costing him money. It doesn't cost him a penny. But nonetheless, he's still not included in the judgment of adding another month of the year. Why? Because it has a personal effect on him. Adding that month of the year will make the the uh, um, the holy days the, the of of Yom Kippur happen deeper into the winter 
meaning that he'll have to dip into the mikveh multiple times during the yamim noraim when the water is colder when the water is colder now you think oh you're thinking well i like cold water okay you may be 20 25 30 35 at the peak of your health that kohen may be 65 75 85 and not exactly looking forward to dipping into a freezing cold uh, uh mikveh especially not multiple times the point being is is that we can never compare our bias to their bias we're not in their position and it's important to know that the from here we learn that a bias a bias is something that is not necessarily always in the form of money it's not necessarily always in the form of money and many times those biases are things that people are trying to create meaning a person that has a bias and needs somebody else to agree with him is willing to pay that person to also acquire that same bias may not be acquiring it for the same reason as what he acquired it for but for the right price he'll agree to even pretend that we have the same common reason that's called a bribe that's called a bribe and bribery happens in all forms and sizes just like the uh, the bias does there is a bribery that comes in a form of money but there's also bribery that comes in compliments that comes in honor position and so on and so forth and the chazonish continues and says bribery is a special case taking bribes is an absolutely condemned action in the hebrew it says that uh what is bemuchlat? technically it says it's it's being translated as absolutely but muhlat means a little bit more than that it's not just absolute in a sense that you agree and i agree but rather who instituted a law into creation that everyone agrees Jews Gentiles righteous and wicked everyone agrees that bribery is simply a condemned action it's no good now how is the person that's giving bribes or taking bribes justify it simple so it's they have an agenda they have a bias it's bad if you do it it's not bad if i do it i'm doing it for the better cause what's the better cause you're taking money under the table in order to absolve a criminal from the crime yeah okay i'm absolving him from the crime but i'm doing a lot of good things with the money i'm gonna give charity i'm gonna pay a roof on my head you want me to be homeless you want to be homeless they'll make you even feel guilty for even accusing them of being bad yeah but you did something bad i did something bad for the sake of good and there's much more good than there is bad yeah but the guy's gonna go on the streets and kill 10 or 20 more people you don't know that okay so he killed one and he knows it's not good anymore but i if i lose my house what what am i gonna do and they'll justify their rationale their distorted rationale in a number of ways so in essence everyone agrees that bribery is horrible everyone even the ones that give it even the ones that take it 
The ones that give it say, listen, I have no choice. I have to do it. As if they'll call themselves Anus. Anus Rahmana Patri. They'll even give you an Allahic term for it. I am a absolved from any uh, uh from any uh, uh um uh you can't find me guilty in any way, you can't uh think that I am uh, uh wicked, you can't think that I'm going against sages, I simply have no choice. That's in essence how they'll justify themselves. Unfortunately, this is done many times by people that simply want to justify their sins. I say, listen, Rabbi, porn is everywhere. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What do you mean? What are you going to do? Don't watch. Yeah, but it's there. Okay, it's there. Doesn't mean you have to watch it. Just like you know, you want your wife not to go with some other guy, even though he's there. He's there. He's there. He's the clerk at the shop. He's the you know coworker. He's I don't know the uh, teacher. You don't want her to marry him while she's married to you, right? Even though he's there, he's there, he's there, right? Okay, same thing. Don't marry the woman that's, you know, on the screen. Simple. Every time you think about this other woman, guess what? It's a, uh, you have a very serious problem. You have a very serious problem. You have a spiritual marriage over there that's not a kosher marriage. So you have to understand that so long as you are alive, your neshama is working, you have a choice. You have a choice. Stop making yourself into some victim that simply is helpless. But, of course, people like to do that when they want to justify their evil. Many times people want to justify their evil by simply making themselves into a victim that can't do anything. So, the uh, Chazonish, first and foremost, wants to let us know that bribery is an absolute condemned action where the Torah views it as an abomination. Abomination. The, the, the abomination means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu finds it repulsive, disgusting. Now, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu finds repulsive sometimes is bizarre to certain people because they find what Hashem finds repulsive in their desirable list. Hashem finds homosexuality repulsive. Unfortunately, many people find homosexuality as a desire that they, 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 they not only have, but they want other people to have. And they feel like other people have it to such an extent that they feel like everybody have it. This is a very common belief among homosexuals that are very open with their homosexuality and their filth and their private life, where they believe that the whole world is in the closet because they're so obsessed with just physical nastiness that they, they're involved in on a regular basis that they feel like everybody's in the same filth that they're in. Like, they don't think that there is a world without this filth, and they actually think that this filth is the good. It's like a person drinking poison and because it tastes like Coca-Cola, they feel like, have some, have some. Yeah, but it's, you see that skull on it? It's bad for you. No, no, that, that's just graphics. Have some, have some. No, no, look, see, you just lost your eye. No, 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 have some, have some. No, you see, you're losing your ear while you're talking to me. It's not my ear, it's, it's just kidding. Go have some, have some. It's They're delusional, but that's unfortunately society today. They're so obsessed with getting some type of physical uh, 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 part of their body moving in a certain way, acting in a certain way, 
doing certain things that they literally believe that the world cannot live without this. The world cannot live without this, and therefore they believe that everybody is also just like them. Everybody's in the closet. I don't know this from some theory. I know this from experience. People are simply, when they are like that, they're no different than missionaries that feel like you just, you don't believe in Yoshke, not because you really don't believe in Yoshke, but because somebody fooled you not to believe in him. The rabbis hid Daniel 9 from you. No, no, it's in my Tanakh. No, they hid uh, Isaiah 53. No, no, it's actually in my Tanakh. We read it in a few times in the shul. No, no, they hid the, the prophecies. No, actually, I know the prophecies. I actually have a whole book about prophecies. No, no, they simply think that whatever's in their demented head is also in your head. This is a sickness, a very, very deep sickness. And the reason why we're discussing it is because the sickness doesn't start that way. It starts with something small, just like most other sicknesses. They start with something small, a little cough, a little sneeze, a little, you know, something. And it develops, it develops. And if you don't pay attention to it, it gets much worse. And if you don't pay attention to it, it gets much worse. And it could be to such an extent that a person could have, just like they could have a physical death, they could have a spiritual death. And they can get to a point where they don't even know what the truth looks like if it hit them right in the face. Because they're so obsessed and glued to this klipa that they're part of, that's become part of their life. So the things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu calls an abomination, you can be sure that they're bad for you. You could be sure that they're bad for society. You could be sure that the Creator who created everything, if He said something is an abomination, you are not going to fool him. You are not going to beat the system. You're not going to beat the system. If it's an abomination, it's an abomination. Now, of course, you could always use everything in the world to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu in some way, but you have to know how to do that, meaning that there is a way to use something that's abominable as a tool to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but not in the way that people think. You can't make homosexuality kosher. You cannot make bribery kosher. Again, unless you know how to use bribery. Where if you're bribing something, you know, let's say, I don't know, one of the, in the past this was very common, where the Jews would have to bribe certain officials and so on in order to, you know, free Jews from prison or from some type of a uh, uh, decree by a Caesar of some kind or, or some type of uh, 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 leader. So, yes, that bribery is, is a necessary bribery. But again, it's a uh, it, it, the distorted logic that people have is to say, oh, so if it's kosher, then then what? It's not kosher when I do it? No, it's not that it's not kosher when you do it. It's that there's a kosher way and there's a non-kosher way. And you have to know the difference. When a person is simply trying to kosher his evil, it doesn't matter how much he tries, it's still going to stay evil. It's still going to stay bad. But when they're trying to use a tool of that could be used for evil for something good, then obviously that could be a, a, a good thing. 
just like you can use a gun to kill people for murder and you can use a a, a gun to defend yourself and defend other people you can use a knife to cut people and, and and to hurt people you can use a knife to eat food so the point being is is that a person needs to know the difference between right and wrong and really the only way to do that is by eliminating that personal bias so the chazonish is saying that the torah views bribery as an abomination and at its root is one of the mysteries of the powers of human nature where bribery blinds the wise and causes them to pervert judgment this is what the chazonish is teaching us here is that this verse that's in the torah that bribery blinds the wise and causes them to pervert judgment is not just a superficial verse in the torah as if such a thing exists it's not just some saying it's not a mantra it's not even a simple lesson but rather it's a rule in nature where he brings now the Zohar the Zohar Kadosh in the Parashat Truma in Daf 161a says that Akadosh Baruch Hu says the Chazonish he's bringing the Zohar the Holy One blessed is he looked into the Torah and created the world according to it that's how it's a said so the Akadosh Baruch Hu created the Torah before he created the world the Gemara in Masechet Chagiga says that Akadosh Baruch Hu wrote the Torah 974 generations before he created the world and he used the Torah as a blueprint for the world and the Chazonish is now bringing that uh, 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 teachings of the sages of how it applies to bribery and in essence how it applies to everything it says because Akadosh Baruch Hu looked at the Torah and created the world according to the Torah it means that the Torah itself created this reality that bribery has the power to blind and distort and the Torah therefore warns us against it so here is the difference between a teaching of let's say some philosopher or some uh, I don't know wise person from the uh, non-Jewish or secular world versus our sages may their uh, 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 names be blessed their memories be blessed is that there's a significant difference here why he's not bringing me his perspective the chazonish is not bringing me his perspective he's bringing me a kadosh Hu's perspective where he's telling me here that you see we have a teachings in the zohar the zohar kadosh by rabbi shimon bar yochai who himself brought over 60 works from sages that preceded him including the uh, the book of avram avinu and adam arishon including some uh, some uh, some books that are law many books that are lost they're not in the world anymore but the Zohar Kadosh wasn't like work like people think that Rabbi Shimon Baruchai was in a cave and he just created something from nothing there is no such thing the only thing that's something from nothing is the holy Torah is our five books of Moses that's something from nothing that's a Kadosh Baruch Hu 
there was nothing and then he wrote used black fire on white fire to create the written Torah everything else after that whether it's the Mishnah the Gemara the Shulchan Aruch the Rambam all of the poskim from the previous generations from current generations all of the works of Torah have to be based on something they can't just create something out of nothing so even the Zohar Kadosh that was a couple of thousand years ago he actually brings over 60 sources that preceded him that that's where he got the information from that's where he got this that's where he got that that's where he got this so that's what a lot of people don't actually realize that especially people that speak against the Zohar and because they just simply read some blog that disagrees with something and it never actually read the Zohar and therefore they jump on that bandwagon why because one person fell for the trap of the Satan doesn't want to believe that the uh, Zohar uh, is is real because the Zohar said that someone that uh, is a uh, waste seed and uh, it's almost impossible for them to do tshuva he obviously is addicted to it or somebody that does something else the Zohar said something critical about it he doesn't believe it he doesn't like it so therefore he has to join the bandwagon of people that simply forsake the entire Zohar even though we don't pass in Allah from the Zohar anyway we pass it from Shulchan Aruch nonetheless it is a very critical and holy book that we learn from and we live we, we try to live by it and according to it as much as possible but the point being is there are many people that go against it trying to do whatever they can to discredit it why because it obligates them it obligates them sometimes it obligates the person himself that's discrediting it sometimes it obligated the person that he learned it from so much so that when he learned it he learned it with such passion that he simply acquired that same person's passion so the question is now the Torah is telling us that there's a rule in the world that the bribery is going to distort and blind the vision of the wise and the Zohar says the Torah made this so how could this be that's the, that's the first question how could the Torah do such a thing because as the Chazonish explains here Akadosh Baruch Hu wrote the Torah and used that Torah as a blueprint, as an instruction set, if you will, of what's going to exist other than Him. Now, this Torah has everything in it. As the Mishnah says, They delve into it and delve into it because everything is in it. All wisdoms are in it. Everything is in it. So, the conversation today is in it the conversation that will be tomorrow is in it the uh the everything is in it your personal life is in it the past the present the few, everything is in it you just need to know how to find it but nonetheless all of the wisdoms are in it people that say listen you need to learn secular subjects sure you need to learn secular subjects, but i'm not really sure why you think secular subjects that are actually uh good for you are not in the torah also what do you think there's no math in the torah you don't think there's history in the Torah you don't think there's science in the Torah there's plenty of it now of course people that don't know how to delve into it or they know how to distort things will make you think that the uh the math or the science or all those things are wrong in the Torah it's just because they don't know how to read right but the point being is is that the Torah has everything and including the rules of the world the rules of nature and Kadosh Baruch Hu, when he created this world he looked at the Torah he said ah 
there is a law here in the Torah of kosher and non-kosher meat. So I'm going to have to make kosher and non-kosher animals. There's kosher and non-kosher fish. So I'm going to have to make kosher and non-kosher fish. There is light. Hashem created light. There is darkness. Hashem created darkness. And all types of statements that are made in the Torah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu looked at the Torah, it says this, and therefore he created it. It says that, and therefore he created it. And one of the statements in the Torah is that shochad, the, the bribery, will blind and distort the judgment of the wise. And the moment the Torah had that statement, it became a reality in our world. Meaning, there is no reality where the shochad, the bribery, does not distort the truth. There is no such reality. Now, we're going to see how the sages discuss this a little bit. And how they apply this in order to manage their lives, protect the Jewish people, and needless to say, to fight against the Rishayim too. The Gemara in Masechet Ketubot, page 105b, Amar Rava, Ma'ita This is what is the reason for the prohibition against bribes. What, what, what is this bribe? Why, why is there so much I, uh, talk against bribery? What is bribery? What is bribery, Bichlan? What is the big deal about it? The reason... That is because once a judge takes a bribe, it could be anybody, but once a judge takes a bribe from a, from a, a litigant, he feels close to him, as though the litig- litigant is himself, and the person does not see wrong in himself. And therefore, it's called shochad, which is she'u chad, that the uh, explanation of everything I just said. Once the judge sees there's the prosecutor, there's the defendant. Now, that judge, whether he be your local rabbi in a beddin or a big beddin in a, uh, a big part of a uh, rabbanut, or it just simply is a, needless to say, a secular judge. Once he takes a bribe, that bribe distorts his opinion. How so? The Gemara says it distorts his opinion in such a fashion that his opinion and the briber's opinion become one. Become one. And Rashi says it's as if they became one. His likes become his likes. His hates become his hates. His hardship becomes his hardship. His goal becomes his goal. They become like one person. Now what's the problem with them becoming one person? The problem is that we have a rule. Another rule in the Torah. A person does not see the deficiencies in himself. And therefore, the one that received the bribe, the, the judge in essence, that received the bribe, no longer sees any deficiency 
in the person that bribed them yeah but he murdered i don't think so no but he did look there's a camera i don't see that being him i don't know it looks like him you're right it looks like him but i don't think it's i don't think it's conclusive that it's him what you don't think it's conclusive that it's him look at same eyebrows white hair mustache a lot of people have mustache well i have a mustache how come why you're gonna say it's me now all of a second i turn it on you what you say it's me i didn't do it i wasn't there i was in cancun how'd you i thought you were just making 500 dollars a week how you go for to go to cancun don't worry about how i can afford again cancun you see the reality is is that all of a sudden he's gonna turn it around why because now he is defending the briber he's no longer looking for the truth he's looking for his financier to be absolved of all crime why because they became one Chadu. now the Marsha elaborates further on this because the Gemara elaborates where the Gemara says that yes they become one yes yes they become one it's terrible in fact the Midrash the Midrash Agadot uh Bubel in a uh, Parashat Mishpatim in uh section uh, 23 8 says why is shohad bribery called shohad because it's like a sakin chad sakin chad is sharp knife shohad bribery is like a sharp knife what does one thing have to do with the other it's dangerous okay we get it but why a lot of things are dangerous why pick a sharp knife because a sharp knife is something that you could easily forget it's dangerous a gun you know it's dangerous a spear you know it's dangerous uh poison you know it's dangerous all of these things could have been used as an example but Chachamim used specifically sharp knife why everyone has a sharp knife in their house and it's very easy to forget it's a sharp knife how simple you have the knife in your hand you're cutting the steak and you forget it's so, so sharp and you're just holding it while you're having a conversation before you know it unfortunately you hurt yourself or better yet it's a sharp knife and you just put it on with the rest of the knives forgetting that you have a bunch of three and four year olds in your house that like to investigate the kitchen once in a while and they find the spoons the knives and including that sharp knife and if you weren't conscious about the fact that it's a sharp knife and it's dangerous and it's something you have to take into consideration at all times easily you can fall into the in the position where you're a victim of it yourself you are a person that is unfortunately forgetting that this tool is dangerous the same goes with shocha the same thing goes with bribery if a person does not look to see if every type of communication every type of financial uh, uh uh transaction every type of relationship everything in their life they look for the truth at all times they look for deficiencies if you will they look to see if there is a deficiency in themselves at all times they look to even see if they're being bribed being bribed at all times if they don't look for it surely they're falling for it and if it's not being bribed perhaps it is the briber many times this happens in unfortunately in the religious world in the form of donations in the form of donations you have a guy attending shul 
for several years, sometimes even decades. Everyone knows he is the big donor in the shul. And everyone knows he also drives on Shabbat. Everyone knows he also is married to a non-Jew. Everyone knows his business is not kosher. Everyone knows a lot of really, really bad stuff about him. But no one says anything. Why? Bribery. Simple. Many times the rabbi is not going to tell the guy that he needs to stop driving on Shabbat. Why? He's afraid if he doesn't, if he tells him something, then he's not going to come to shul on Shabbat. And usually on Shabbat, and on Yom Kippur, and on Rosh Hashanah, and on all of the Yom Tovs is when he donates all the money. So if I tell him don't drive, he won't come, and then we won't have the money. And if we don't have the money, how are we going to build an extension to the shul? And that's the logic. And guess what? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, such a place and such a rabbi is an abomination. Abomination. Now again, you can say the truth. Not necessarily everyone's going to listen to you. But to think that you're absolved from telling people the truth because of this agenda that you have, that's bribery. What about the community? Many times the people in the community are afraid to tell the rich people that donate a lot of money something. Either for the same reason as the rabbi, they figure that we need this guy's money because we're getting an extension to the shul, we, we, he's financing the salaries, if it's not going to come from him, it's going to have to come from me, so better him than me, I could buy more Bitcoin, I could become rich, he's already rich, and so on and so all types of warped logic. Or other times they simply say, listen, the rabbi probably told him, well, it's not my, it's not my job to tell him. Yeah, but he's been driving to shul for 20 years. He's been driving to shul for five years. Even if the rabbi told him, obviously it's not working. Maybe you should do it too. And he won't do it. Why? He'll justify by saying perhaps it's somebody else's job. But in reality, it's because he's saying, listen, I don't want to burn any bridges. He's a very successful guy. I'm on my way up. I'm trying to be successful. Maybe one day we'll be able to do a deal. If I rebuke this guy, tell him to stop driving on Shabbat and divorce his, uh, his, his non-Jewish wife, eh, this guy is not going to want to do business with me. I don't want to burn any bridges. I'm a young guy. I don't want to burn any bridges. I'm still young. I don't need to rebuke older people and so on and so forth. This is, again, you are, in essence, falling into it yourself. You're falling into the bribe yourself. And this, unfortunately, has been happening for generations. not a new thing today. And that's why the sages said that the bribery shochad sakin chad it's a sharp knife if you're not careful with it surely you are a victim of it or even a perpetrator nonetheless the uh Gemara continues in masechet ketubot elaborating on it how could this how could this be expanded further it says that when it comes to judgment the Gemara says Rav Papa, in the name of Rav Papa, a man should judge neither a person that he likes or dislikes why because of uh, shochad because of bribery if he likes him he won't see anything wrong with him he likes the guy he won't see anything wrong with him if he doesn't like him he won't see anything right in him that 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 relationship that you already have of liking or disliking this person that in itself is a 
is a uh, shochad, is a uh, form of, uh, of bribery. It can create a bribery. Furthermore, Abaya says, if you see a, a scholar, you see a chacham, you see a rabbi, who's liked by the people of his town, everybody likes him. Nobody dislikes the guy. They put him on Mishpacha magazine, on Ami, all the competitors, all, all of a sudden are friends. He's on the cover of everywhere. He's highlighted everywhere. He's, uh, everybody likes the guy. Yeah, but he's a heretic. I don't know what you're saying. Uh, he says things against the Torah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really, uh, I don't know. I never saw that before. I'll show you. I don't have time. Well, he brings uh, missionaries to his shul. Are you sure? Yeah, I have videos of it. I don't know. If, if it was really that, some big rabbis would say something. No, they, they are. They're just scared of saying it. I don't know. They're just not saying it. I don't know. What's going on here? Everybody likes him. Why does everybody like him, says Abaye? Because he doesn't rebuke. Because he works on that. Everybody will like him. How? Never telling anyone in his circle the truth that obligates them. He may even rebuke, but people that are so far removed that it won't have any impact. And if it does, he'll retract his statements. Simple. Making himself seem like a bigger person. Oh, I didn't know I was wrong. Abayah says, if you see a rabbinic scholar who's liked by people of his town, it's not because they think he's such a fine character, but rather because he does not rebuke them in matters of heaven. He doesn't tell them to stop driving on Shabbat. He doesn't tell them to leave their non-Jewish spouses. He highlights it by saying, we have a mixed community everybody's welcome we have some people that are more observant we have people that are less observant we welcome everybody as if it's a good thing habibi you need to understand if you tell everybody they're all okay regardless of how they are you do not belong in leadership position whether you are a leader of the army a leader of a sports team, a leader of a Fortune 500 company, and needless to say, leader of a Jewish community. If you're telling everybody they're all perfectly fine as they are, you're not fit to be a leader. The job of a leader is to bring people up to become leaders themselves. The job of a leader is to remind people of the deficiencies that they do not see themselves in themselves. Why? Because you are looking from a different perspective, not in a perspective like you think, where, oh, if I tell them their deficiencies, then I'm just looking down on them. No, you fool. By telling them their deficiencies, you're telling them that they can do better because you see their potential. Not because you just see their deficiency, but rather because you see their potential once they overcome the deficiency. But the problem today, Rabotai, is people think that if you rebuke Jewish people, that means you don't like them. Well, apparently, Abaya didn't like Jewish people, maybe. 
according to their logic. But obviously, everyone knows that's not normal to think. So Abayah says, if this rabbi is liked by everybody, it's because he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't tell them to stop driving on Shabbat. He doesn't tell them that if they continue driving on Shabbat, they're going to go to Genom forever. He doesn't tell them that if they don't leave their spouse that's not Jewish, they're going to get a punishment that's going to make the Holocaust seem like child's play. He doesn't tell them that. Why? He wants to get them to continue coming continue donating and continue telling them i really liked your shiur rabbi i really like that what is it called drasha yeah yeah i read it on my computer on shabbat oh my whole family liked it and he won't even say anything why it's not my position to say anything then whose position is it unless your uh your congregants are moshe rabbenus he's going to speak to them through a uh, burning bush it's your job buddy that's the point of being a rabbi that's in fact the point of being a leader but guess what if you are a football team uh, a coach it's if you don't rebuke you get fired if you are a manager in a company and you manage whether it's a small business or a major enterprise same position just different amount of staff and you don't rebuke people guess what you're not only not getting a bonus you're not going to have a job because somebody else is coming to take your place someone that knows how to rebuke if you are a leader and you don't rebuke guess what someone that does will come and do your job and you won't have a job and this is acceptable among all of society except the rabbinical world today why because the rabbinical world is the most important part of the world and the satan works overtime on it making sure that the football coach is highlighted for his rebukes of his team and how they're not working hard enough despite working out for six or seven hours a day and how they're not pushing hard enough even though they're all sweating blood and how they're not doing enough even though they really tried their best it's not enough because we didn't win and guess what the fortune 500 company is going to rebuke his staff because we missed earnings and the analyst had a higher estimate than we actually achieved and this guy's fired and that guy's fired and this whole team is fired why because somebody has to be thrown out to show our investors we're serious and guess what that manager that ceo will get a promotion as a result because he's ceo that means business and any executive any expert of any kind the satan will not bother with them at all as they rebuke the rest of the world but if you're a rabbi that rebukes for a second there's at least five people waiting for you at the end of the shiur saying rabbi you think you you think maybe you went too hard rabbi maybe maybe you can show them the nice things in the torah rabbi you know the shiur that i heard in the reform shul it didn't talk like this and there's at least five superheroes they're gonna email you and at least 25 they're gonna make a comment and if you have 25,000 subscribers like some people oh just add a few zeros to it the rabbinical world that's where the satan parks why he wants everyone to get their bribes this rabbi and that rabbi and this rabbi and that rabbi and the only way out of this bribery is by delving into it and delving into it and fulfilling it 
not just reading it not just finishing the sus once the shots once or twice or three times or ten times but living by it internalizing it and unfortunately that's what's not being done why because a bribe came along the way the bribe that made the seven times you completed the shas all of a sudden not matter the the bribe that made the shulchan aruch a book that once in a while you delve into if you're really from the bribe is the one that made you just look the other way when your buddy your cousin your daughter your boyfriend drove to shul on yom kippur the bribery is the one that ruined that entire Torah that you learned your entire life whether it be rabbi or congregate that bribery Abaya says that bribery is what's killing you that bribery is what's killing your community that bribery is what's killing your eternity and that's why Abayas says if the rabbi is liked by everybody he is bribed he's bribed simple it's not a question it's a certainty why because if he was rebuking people surely there would be some people that dislike him there has to be there has to be some people that don't like the don't like the rebuke and you say wait a minute why would he want people not to like him no no it's not that he wants people not to like him just like the coach and the ceo and the manager they don't want people not to like him they simply want him to perform better but you see when you tell people to perform better in the Jewish world you're telling them to change things that many times don't cost money you're telling them to change desires you're telling them to control desires you're telling them to simply do better without it costing a penny in fact sometimes it's cheaper and you're telling them because it's good for them doesn't affect you you see when you actually rebuke people it's the highest form of caring for them it's the highest form of chesed that you can do a person for a person is to rebuke them with obviously good intentions not to rebuke them to make fun of them but rebuke is not fun for anyone to hear no one likes to be told that they're wrong unless they're looking to become the next ceo or successful in life or beat the next team that they're gonna play against you see this Gemara continues and this Abaye continues and in fact Rava is Chavuta also continues elaborating on the thought of Abaye that says if there's a rabbi that everybody likes you could be sure he doesn't rebuke Rava says you're right hi you're right says I used to be I used to live in a uh mechoza mechoza is a place and all of them liked me but once I became the judge over there I said that some people don't like me and some people like me and eventually when I saw that the people declared libel today win tomorrow when they saw that people declared libel today were libel tomorrow then some people liked me and uh then um uh, I said that if they like me all of them like me and if they don't like me if they all don't like me so what does it mean Rava said the following he says when I moved to a place like Mechoza I lived among these people in the beginning everybody liked me why because I wasn't rebuking anybody I wasn't a judge I wasn't in a position to rebuke anybody 
Once I became a judge, I started judging against people. Oh, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're innocent, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. And all of a sudden, people started disliking me, but there were still people like me. But even later on, as I judged more and more cases, I noticed one thing. When they like me, everybody likes me. When they hate me, everybody hates me. Meaning, when they like me, that's because they agree with my judgment, so everybody jumps on that bandwagon. When they dislike me, everybody jumps on the bandwagon. Everybody, jump, everybody hates me. Dislike me. So what's the difference here? Why, what, what's going on here? Why? Why is it the case? Because I was in Mechoza. What do I need to know that you were in Mechoza for? Why do I need to know that he was in Mechoza? The Gemara in Masechet Avodah Zarah says that Mechoza was full of Chachamim. The people of that community were not just from people. They were Chachamim. Wise people. And wise people like rebuke. They like the truth. The place where Abaya was, where rebuke led to hatred that was permanent that's because it was full of fools that was because it was full of fools meaning that educated people people that are educated in torah but not just educated in knowing the information but also internalize the torah they want rebuke they don't necessarily like it but they want rebuke because they want what comes from rebuke, which is the truth. So the people of Mechoza, the people of truth, eventually they went with Rava. Why? He's gonna tell us he's gonna tell us the truth. So the people that uh the people that uh were looking for the truth, they liked him. They liked him. Why? Because they saw the truth. The people that didn't that weren't Chachamim, they disliked him. Why? Because yeah, he was rebuking people. So what about later on when he says either they all like me or all this like me? He's referring to the people that were not learned in Mechoza. The people that were learned always liked them. Why? Because they saw the truth. But the people that were not learned, they all their opinion changed from time to time. If I judged according to what they thought I should judge, they all liked me. If they judged according to what against what they thought, they all disliked me. Those people's opinion, the fool's opinion, the people that allow their emotions to run their life, those people, they're going to like you one day, dislike you another day, they're going to watch your shooting one day, you know, go against you the other day. Yeah, one day they like, one day they don't like. You have some of those people, They one day they subscribe, they send you an email, you change my life, you're the greatest thing in the world. Then a little bit while passes, you say something in a shield that affects them and they need to hear, oh, I hate you, you're the worst, you're Amalek, you're the this, you're the that, you think who you are, you think you're not who you are. And later on, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I said Lashonara about you. Do you forgive me? Okay, fine. All right. A few months later, listen, I can't take it. You're too much. You're too this. And then a few months later, and you guess the, you think I'm making this stuff up? There is literally psychopath just like this that you have to deal with. And they're not psychopaths because they're bad people. They're psychopaths because they allow their emotions to run their life. They allow their emotions to run their life so much so that it doesn't matter how much you teach them. It all goes to the heart instead of the mind. So those people, even if they learn from a Bayin Rava, they're still going to stay. One day they like, one day they don't like. But the people that are really wise, that allow themselves to be rebuked, they know that if there's a rebuke, 
that they're hearing, it must be something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu inspired. It's not just coming for no reason. If you stubbed your toe, there's a reason. It was decided in Shemaim that you'll stub your toe. If you lost, there's a reason. In Shemaim, it was decided you will lose. And a person that is not only learning, but internalizing that learning, is going to look at every opportunity to see how can I apply this, this, and this to my life. How could I apply it? And anyone that's going to help me see those things, of course I like him. Yeah, but he says things that uh, obligate you to change your life. Okay, that, that's good. What do you mean? But it costs a lot of money. It, you have to change this. You have to change that. It costs a lot of change. May cause a disagreement. Listen, these are necessary things. In order to progress, sometimes you have to change. Sometimes you have to change. So you see, Rabotai, when a person is bribed, he loses that ability to help people change. Why? Because he now has at least two considerations at every given moment. One is the truth, the reality that his congregant, his friend, his brother, his whoever is desecrating the Torah. That's the truth. And then there is the bribe. And the consequences of losing that bribe, losing that donation, losing that salary, losing that honor, even if there's no monetary exchange. But this guy that is desecrating the Torah is a guy that says hello to him all the time. Or is a guy that got him, uh, that can get him a job. Or is a guy that uh, can introduce him to somebody that is important. Or is whatever it is. There is something that this person has that he sees valuable. Therefore, bribe. And now, because he has two of these things to consider, the reality is he can no longer think the same. So if a person will say, yeah, no, no, I can, I can overlook it. No, you can't. No, you can't. Why? It's a rule within the nature of the world. That the bribery will distort your philosophy, will distort your mentality, will distort reality if it has to. Your reality will become altogether different. You will no longer see an obligation in them, just like you don't see an obligation in yourself. You will no longer see a deficiency in them, just like you don't see a deficiency in yourself. So how does a person, especially a rabbi, a leader, how does a person allow themselves to accept donations? Simple. Very simple. The connection between the donation and the donor has to simply be two different things. Meaning that the fact that they're donating should have nothing to do with how you're guiding them. You should not care whether a person is donating or not donating in your determination of helping them or not, of how you speak to them or not. 
if you see that the donation is causing you to alter your speech then you have to do tshuva you have to fix it if you see that you're holding yourself back from telling this person the truth as a result of the donation then you have to do tshuva you have to fix it if you see that you are considering not telling the person the truth because you are worried about losing a donation you have to do tshuva and fix it why because you have now turned the donation the bribe the 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 job opportunity the friendship the hello every day whatever the bribe is we're using money because it's it's simply the easiest example a way to to uh to use as an example you've turned that bribe into something that's actually more important to you than the person you're supposed to be helping thereby turning the bribe into an abomination you've turned the bribe into something more important than one of Hashem's children hence the reason of why Hashem says it's disgusting that you are looking at a job opportunity at a at a social uh, 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 um, uh, relationship of some kind a social opportunity of some kind popularity of some kind an acceptance of some kind a monetary gain of some kind whatever opportunity of some kind into something more important than one of my children when you've turned one of those things into something more important than one of my kids not only is it a bribe it's also an abomination no less than the worst things in the Torah now one of the great things that we see from our holy sages is that they not only taught us how to look at things see things clearly but also how to utilize them for good how to utilize them for good because in Shema Yisrael, we're taught that we're supposed to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu bekol levavecha, bekol nafshecha, bekol meodecha. All of your heart, all of your life, all of your resource, all of your money. In essence, you can use everything to serve Hashem. And the sages teach us, what does it mean, all of your heart? Both parts of your heart. The Yetzirah Tov and the Yetzirah. The good and the evil should be used to serve Hashem. So how could I use the evil to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu? You can use things that are evil to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu if you're learned enough. And if you have internalized the good enough, you can actually use evil things to serve Hashem. Like I said as an example before, bribery is an abomination. But if you're using that bribery, to save Jewish people's lives meaning you're gonna go bribe some politician like the sages have in the past to to release Jewish prisoners surely that's a great thing you're saving a life yeah but bribery is an abomination when it's misused when it's when this evil is used for the sake of good then surely it's good but you have to know when is when if you are a person that understands the, the real difference between good and evil this this is necessarily isn't necessarily so difficult to figure out 
but when you're biased when you have an agenda a personal agenda then of course the uh the it's very very uh quick uh very very easy to uh to see the wrong thing as good so one rule of thumb is that generally the good is the general good and not the personal good meaning that if you're going to use evil to do good one rule of thumb is that the good that you do is typically going to be good for the public and the evil is an evil for the individual meaning you're doing evil for the sake of the greater good the bribe is for the greater good the individual bribe for the greater good many times people do the opposite it's the the uh, the greater evil for the individual good so he'll take a bribe even though it's going to cause harm to an entire community so the the one rule of thumb is to know is that if you're going to use this evil this bribery let's say it's a uh as a uh uh it's something that is going to create a greater good than the evil is creating that's one rule of thumb another thing is also is to eliminate a bias years ago I told you a story which I heard again today from my my uh my love about a evil judge an evil Dayan that uh or judge that uh, of course could not see the evil in his in his uh in his ways because he thought that his individual good should be interpreted as the greater good sometimes people think that their individual good is the greater good because they're so arrogant they think they're almost like a little civilization so this guy he had a way he was one of these well-to-do accomplished educated nose up really high in the air thinking his iq is double what it really is just because he has a diploma or two that says masters on it and therefore he wouldn't take a bribe hand to hand yet away you want to come to my court no problem you want to play fair you're more than welcome to you want me to look at you first there's a system for that too what's the system the judge had special shoes that he would wear when he would judge special boots the right boot and the left boot right boot was for the prosecution side to perhaps influence the size of that boot and the left is for the defendant if they wanted to influence the judge in some way or another and every time he would judge right before he would come into the court he would put on his boots and see which boot is tighter meaning which one of the which one of the uh people that are in his court are more motivated let's just say more motivated so one day a guy that was showing up to his court that was like Lavan. Lavan was a not only a con man but all the con men were scared of him because he even conned them to so this guy he is defendant he puts a lot of stuff in the boot even though the prosecutor also put some stuff in the boot he put a lot more so much so that when the judge that is too respectable 
to see what's in the boot. He only sees it when it's in private. He could barely put the boot on. He's like, oh, this guy, Tzaddik, he must be right, he's so motivated. He must be right. God is making him right. And he sits down on his chair before the prosecutor could even finish a sentence. He judges innocent. Innocent. Defendant is innocent. Case dismissed. Of course, everybody is surprised at how quickly this case went. A lot of money was on the table. Defendant was accused of stealing a fortune. But innocent. Case dismissed. The prosecutor doesn't know what to do themselves because they put a, they put a few shekels in the right side. But the case dismissed. Okay. The judge gets back to his private area, takes off his fancy boots, sees the right side, the prosecutor. He put 100000 in there. Psh, he was motivated. But he wasn't motivated like my tzaddik, the defendant, defend, the innocent defendant. He filled up nearly the entire boot. And he tries to pull it out. It's really tight. He pulls it out, pulls it out, pulls it out. Eventually he sees what? Newspapers. And he says, ha, what a con man this guy is. What a con man. Not even seeing that he himself is the con man. Unfortunately, Rabotai, sometimes when a person is eating bribes non-stop it becomes impossible for them to see that what they're eating is a bribe it becomes impossible for them to see such a thing and therefore it's important to do cheshbonifish self-accounting if everybody likes you you have a serious problem if everybody dislikes you it's also not very good it should always be somewhere in the middle but most importantly you should evaluate whether a shem likes you whether Hashem agrees with you, whether you're saying what Hashem said versus what you think you should say. Why? Because sometimes there's a very, very big difference. You see, Rabotai, we're going to finish off with a couple of sources that I found very interesting. I found very interesting because I don't know if there is many scholars, many rabbis that are willing to say this truth to their keilah. I've said this in a shul some time ago. I reheard something that has to do with it with one of the grandsons of uh, Rav Vigdor Miller, Rav Brog, who's a Talmud Chacham and an Ishemet. And uh, he brought this on again and reminded me of this halacha that hard, hard for me to believe that there are many rabbis that will say this to their community. Not because they don't have anybody in their community that is not uh, problematic, but rather because of the bribery. The bribery of the job, the bribery of the money, the donations, the salary, the image, the so-called peace. The fake peace is also a form of bribery. The uh, social acceptance, also a form of bribery. And so on and so forth. I remember five years ago, we had a whole battle against the uh, 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 Christian missionary that was invited to Boca Raton Synagogue. And I spoke to a couple of Talmidei Chachamim that lived in the area. And I said, no, what are you doing? Why don't you say something? Listen, I agree with everything that you're saying, but I can't do anything about it. Why not? 
My kids go to school here. We live here. It would be a big process. How could I continue living here? If I'm against what's going on here, I'll have to change shoes. I'll have to move houses. I'll have to sell my house. What was the bribery? Simple. Comfort. Comfort is a form of bribery. The comfort that you think that you are supposed to uh, be comfortable and uh, not do anything that will make you uncomfortable, even if that means you're going to allow Hashem's name to be desecrated and his children to be violated. But yet, many people justify their distortions of the Torah by their misinterpretations of certain sages and most common people like to read or guide for the perplexed that the Rambam write which was really catered for people that are not your average person but rather people that uh, can understand the guide of the perplexed and there are very few people that are not complete Torah scholars that can really understand the guide to the perplexed but every average Joe wants to read it every average Joe thinks he understands it and many times those very same average Joes become heretics thinking that the Rambam agrees with them so if anybody understands Torah sages Rambam they know that if you have to pick what's more important in the eyes of the Rambam himself not just the rest of Klav Yisrael the Yad Chazaka or the guide for the perplexed surely everyone would that knowledgeable knows that Yad Chazaka the Rambam it's called or Mishneh Torah is the priority that's what the Alacha is so before a person says oh I think like the Rambam and the Rambam he agrees with me on this he agrees with me on that you should also know that the Rambam Pasuk in this Alacha I'm about to say to you an Alacha that like I said the bribery that's in the world today the social acceptance the media the Google the the the, the Facebook likes the uh the Twitters and all that subscribers all that garbage that motivates people to do the wrong thing is the reason why you will not hear this alacha spoken in your average shul by your average rabbi today what is the alacha ilchot evil rambam chapter 13 alacha number 12 where he says Sorry, this is the wrong one. It's Perik Aleph. Ilchot Evel Perik Aleph, the first chapter. First chapter, Alacha number 10. What is this chapter? What does it say? We do not conduct morning rites. For all of those who deviate from the path of the community, meaning people who throw off the yoke of the mitzvot from their necks and do not join together with the Jewish people in the observance of the mitzvot or the honoring of the festivals or the attendance of synagogues and houses of study. Instead, they are like free and independent people like the other nations 
And similarly, we do not mourn for heretics, apostates, and people who inform on Jews to the Gentiles. Instead, their brothers and their other relatives wear white clothes, robe themselves in white, eat, drink, and celebrate for their enemies of the for the enemies of the Holy One, blessed is he, have perished. And concerning them, King David said in Psalm 139, verse 21, those who hate you, O Hashem, will I hate. What is this Allah? When somebody dies, everyone knows there is a mourning ritual that the Jewish people have that is unique among the nations. What most people do not know is that it is unique, that mourning process is unique only for Torah observant Jews not for people that are heretics not for people that don't observe shabbat not for a kohen that's married to a a divorcee which is forbidden not is for a jew that's married to a gentile not is for a person that doesn't believe in the oral torah not for a person that is not torah observant a person that's not torah observant these mourning rituals do not apply to him in fact the rambam says that we don't conduct these morning rituals and rather instead we view these people secular people heretics uh missionaries you know jews that have gone to christianity not only do you not mourn them even if they're people that are close to you even if they are really close to you don't mourn them why because we consider them as the enemies of god he desecrates shabbat on a regular basis he's Michalit shabbat that's it he's an enemy of god he dies that way he's an enemy of god yeah what about everybody says tinok shanishba Arab Bog called Arab el yashif years ago and asked him there's a guy that died and one of my students is asking if he should uh, mourn him. It's his father. But he was a Michalel Shabbat. He didn't keep Torah and mitzvot. Rabbi Yashif says, he lived in Israel? He said, yeah. He said, if he lived in Israel, then he knew what Shabbat is, and therefore he cannot be a Tinok Shanishba, and therefore he does not need to mourn him. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. Why? because he's considered an enemy of God the rules of mourning from the Torah and some of the things that were instituted by sages are only for Torah observant Jews they're not for heretics they're not for Michalil Shabbat they're not for people that go against the Torah they are enemies of God and in fact the Rambam the very same Rambam that people want to say that he agrees with all the uh, stupidity that people create in their own minds the very same Rambam says, what, your cousin, your uncle, your whoever is important to you died and they are a heretic? Instead of mourning them, you should go get really, really nice Shabbat clothes and start dancing and have a party in your house because the enemy of God died. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's technically what you're supposed to be doing. Now, of course, your average community is much more lenient, to say the least, about such things. They don't, not only do they not do parties, 
but they actually mourn them anyway and they justify by saying listen it doesn't say that you're not allowed to so you can technically but in reality your average jew and i'm not talking about your average secular jew your average from jew does not even know this halacha exists they think that if their cousin or brother whoever and everybody's gonna die at some point including myself everyone's gonna die at some point but they think that when all jews die they all have to be mourned and that's simply not correct so why has this become the norm bribery bribery is the reason now again if you see your uh, your friend mourning his father that was a mechalel shabbat don't rebuke him don't re- you don't need to rebuke him but it's important for us to know what is real da torah what is the real opinion of a torah what is the real Allah? Because you can't just say, oh, I'm going to rebuke everybody that's uh, mourning their uh, loved ones that were really enemies of God. Okay, well, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to mourn your uh, family? Oh, you don't have that problem because you think your whole family is full of religious people. Don't be so sure. Life is long for some people. Don't start thinking that you could just uh, call everybody a, a bad person because they're mourning they're uh they're loved ones that are really enemies of god the whole point of this is not to call all of the people that are mourning heretics or secular people as bad people the point is is to see how bribery has affected judaism and its leadership and what we're taught and what we allowed ourselves to learn now again if a person is 100% emet, they're not going to mourn a person that is a heretic, needless to say, that is a desecrate Shabbat and all of that stuff. They're simply not going to do it, regardless of who that person is. But if they have a little bit of lies in them, bias in them, it all depends. The bigger the bias, the bigger the bribe, the bigger the agenda, the more the influence on a person so every person has to reflect on themselves first also look at whatever torah you're consuming whatever torah you're consuming is it really true is what this teacher teaching you what it says in the book or he just said it is he telling you stuff that obligates you or he's just stimulating your mind but doesn't necessarily obligate you if you like to listen to teachers that stimulate your mind but don't obligate your body don't obligate your wallet don't obligate your 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 mind don't obligate your life don't obligate your marriage don't obligate anything you just like them to mentally stimulate you you my friend are paying for the bribe of the satan with your own money if you are listening to people that are not causing you to change how you manage your money how you manage your marriage how you manage your uh, parenthood how you marriage manage your time how you manage your your torah study how you manage everything if you're not listening to people that constantly obligate you thereby rebuking you directly or indirectly you are paying for the bribe you are paying for the bribe of yourself because you decide who you listen to you decide where you attend you decide where to go you decide what to consume so we can't blame the leaders only we have to really blame ourselves first and many times you see people they start on the right path they do tshuva they get on fire and all of a sudden they want to relax 
Ah, it's too intense for me, Rabbi, so I don't listen to it as often. Yeah, but that intense got you out of intermarriage. That intense got you out of idolatry. That intense got you out of genom. Yeah, but I'm out of there now, so I, I still need to stay that way. You don't even realize that you need it even more now than you did before. You don't even realize you need it more now than you did before. If it took 100% truth to get you from garbage, genom, lies, and, and, and filth to the right path, then it's going to take 100% truth to keep you there. There is no coasting. There is no less. And guess what? What we teach is basic standard Judaism. It's not stringencies like the Satan tells you. It's not adding. It's simple Judaism. It's just that the bribery that's in the world today has made it so that people think that the truth is really stringency and the lies are really the truth they made the truth into a lie the rabbi mikotsk lava shalom said famously when he was asked how come the christians the idolaters are succeeding in spreading their heresy their idolatry and we are struggling. The Rebbe Mikotsk that was kol kulo emet. His entire self was emet, was truth. He says, because these idolaters are preaching their lies as if it's true. And we are preaching the truth as if it's a lie. We're scared. Was there ever a time that we weren't scared? Yes. At the time of Yoshke, Machshimo Vezicho, Jesus of Nazareth, caused a lot of damage. People think that the sages were afraid or didn't fight. It's actually an Agmara. Even the righteous women among Am Yisrael fought against the heresy of Christianity. You may not find this in your typical Gemara, so you have to go look at commentary. But this is the truth. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 116a, says a story. It begins at the end of 116a and it moves on to 116b. It says a story of what happened after Yoshke, after Jesus of Nazareth brought his Tum'ah to the world, his impurity of Christianity and New Testament to the world, his followers and the many of them were Jews that were ignorant and some that were simply full of desire that made Christianity a perfect fit for their heresy. So people tried to make Christianity seem as if it is superior to Judaism and one of the ways by making Christianity seem like it's more just that this new book 
this new teaching, this new testament, is a way for God, according to them, to become nicer, more lovable, more loving, more just. And their judgment is more just. And that's what they preach till this day, the God of love and all types of mumbo-jumbo. They say the God of love unless you disagree with him. And then it becomes hatred, lawsuits, anti-Semitism, Holocaust, and so on. But the time of Rabban Gamliel, there was an important duty for the Jewish people to not only know the difference, but to work against the enemy. And Rabban Gamliel and his sister, a tzaddikah named Ima Shalom. Ima Shalom was also married to Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos, the rabbi of Rabbi Akiva. So Rabban Gamliel and his sister, Ima Shalom, went on a mission. What's the mission? There was a Christian teacher that was like the philosopher type who crowned himself the most just judge because he does not take bribes. And therefore, he's not a biased. So this in itself would show people that are not aware that, oh, there could be that this guy that's not Torah observant is more just than our rabbis. So it was important for Rabban Gamliel and his sister Ima Shalom to show that this is a lie. How do they do it? Torah says, You love Hashem with all your heart, with all of your life, with all of your money. They showed the fulfilling of all of this in this story. Showing that they love Hashem so much that they're putting themselves on the line, including their life on the line and their money on the line. Also, Ima Shalom, the tzaddikah, goes up to this judge and gives him a bribe, a golden lamp. And she says, we have a judgment. Tomorrow we'll come into your court. We have a judgment between me and my brother. What's the judgment about, lady? The judgment is that I want to take an inheritance. My father died. Our father died. I want to take my, my share of the inheritance. No problem. But the Torah says, if there is a son, then you give the inheritance to him. You don't give any of the inheritance to the daughter. The uh, judge will take care of that. Court convenes. Rabban Gamliel shows up. Ima Shalom shows up as if they're fighting each other for the inheritance. And there's a crowd. Day one of the case. Yes, what's the case? We have an inheritance. Father just died. The woman, Ima Shalom, believes that she is entitled to half the money. And our brother will be entitled to half the money. Rabban Gamliel says, yes, but the Torah, our holy Torah, says that that's not the case. The Torah says, no inheritance goes to the daughter if there's a son. So the Gemara says, this philosopher, this Christian philosopher says, from the days you people were exiled from your land, the law of Moses has been taken over and superseded. 
and a different book was given in its place, i.e. the New Testament, and in that book it says, a son and a daughter inherit equally. New Testament says, a son and a daughter inherit equally. So it supersedes your, uh, your Torah, your Old Testament. End of day one. After that, Rabban Gamliel brings a Libyan, uh, uh, a uh, Libyan uh, um, donkey. Nice Libyan donkey gives it to the judge, the philosopher, the Christian, the righteous judge who doesn't take bribes and just so happen to have a golden lamp. And he gives them the best donkey that exists. Day two. The judge says, yes, okay, we're arguing the case about the inheritance. Oh, yes, yes, I'm glad. Yes, yes, I'm glad we have a day two because actually I looked in the new book, you know, the new book, the New Testament, and I saw that what I see, what I see, I saw that in the end of that New Testament, in the end of that book that I was reading, it's actually written that I come not to detract from the law of Moses, nor to add to the law of Moses. And in the law of Moses, it's written where there is a son, a daughter does not inherit. So he says, yeah, even though we said what we said yesterday, but I actually delved into the New Testament, the new law again. And I saw, no, no, Jesus didn't say to change the law. He came to fulfill the law. So you're right. So since the Old Testament says that a, a, uh, 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 when there's a son, there's a, the daughter doesn't inherit. So that's, you're right. The, there is no inheritance going to her. She said something different from yesterday. All of a sudden, the crowd hears this. Okay, Ima Shalom is there. Ima Shalom says, "Your Honor, may the um, may you be uh, uh, may your light shine forth like the lamp, reminding him of the golden lamp. Look, the lamp, the lamp. May your light shine like the lamp, hinting to him. Won't forget my bribe." Rabban Gamliel says. A donkey has come and kicked over the lamp. Your bribe is worthless. Without everybody knowing, everybody knew. What? She's talking about the lamp. Which lamp? The one that's right next to him. That golden lamp that just appeared yesterday right before the trial. She's talking about the lamp. Why is she talking about the lamp? Rabban Gabriel says, no, no, forget the lamp. The donkey. You see that donkey? Brand new donkey parked outside. Million dollar donkey. Yeah. Who gave him the right to go give a missionary a Christian money? Using the good, using the bad in order to do good. Using the bad in order to do good. They gave him a bribe in order to expose, in order to expose the falsehood of Christianity, in order to expose the lies, the manipulation, where it's whatever fits the agenda. If it fits the agenda to do A, they'll do A. If it fits the agenda to do B, they'll do B. That's in essence the entire religion. Whatever fits. Whatever fits. And this Rabotai is something that is across all of society. Where a person 
that does not monitor, does not monitor his own behavior, could easily find himself either bribing somebody or being bribed himself. It's important for a person to know that if you are bribing somebody, it's not going to end so well. Torah says that people, that the judges that get bribed, accept bribes, will get very severe punishment, one of them being in the regular world of blindness, losing their vision. As a symbolic of the verse that's in the Torah, that how uh, bribery uh, makes the, uh, the wise uh, uh, blind. But also you should know that the bribery can many times cause a person to steal. If you, let's say, for example, have a, uh, a deal and you know that you did something wrong, but you pay off somebody to make it seem like as if you're right, and you end up winning that case because of the bribe, you should know you're considered 100% a thief. Now, you may not think that's such a big deal. Okay, maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll... No, no, you don't understand. Stealing money is one of the worst things you can possibly do for yourself. Because although you may have an intrinsic benefit out of it short term, the loss is so detrimental it's hard to quantify. Because the Chachamim say that it doesn't matter how much good a person did. They could have kept Shabbat, put on tefillin, gave tzedakah, uh, learned. If they have stolen money in their hands, they will not, allow, they will not be allowed to enter heaven. What do they have to do? They have to be reincarnate, come back to this world to pay back who they stole money from. Now, many times we've told these stories of how people have to reincarnate in order to come back to this world. And one time we told a story that we learned, that we heard from the Baal Shem Tov and also other stories that we heard from different chachamim or read in different books. But now I'm going to share with you a story that we heard and we learned firsthand from the person that saw it, from the person that experienced it. And this will be published in 10 different languages on our website in the coming days. But this story is something you can verify. Not just something that you can just uh, hear once and uh, forget about. Because the ramifications of this are significant. The woman that told us the story, very dear, righteous woman, lives in Eretz Israel, Esther Malka Astrok. And she writes the following. Now this story, as I said, is not like any other story that we've published in the past. We have a lot of tshuva stories of people that have done tshuva, people that have transformed their life, people that have really uh, seen miracles in their life, which Bezat Hashem will get to see some more of those in the uh, next couple of days in the big event. But this particular story is a uh, new addition to our tshuva story collection. More so because it is a modern-day, real-life example of reincarnation. 
and exactly what the sages said and exactly how a person with the right perspective can see the truth in front of him and she says the following last summer on the Askara of the Ariza Rabbi Yitzchak Luria we got a kitten he lived in our house for two months and although he received lots of love food and good care he meowed more than normal and we didn't know what his problem was after two months he had grown up and his meowing was becoming more and more bothersome as well as his behavior he would jump up on the table stick his nose in our food climb into the kitchen cabinets and we had to chase him out of the bedroom before going to sleep at night because he kept on running in and hiding under the bed and then he would wake people up in the middle of the night finally we decided maybe he needed to be outside we put his food and water outside and at first he ran away for the day but then the next day he came back he became an outdoors cat coming in when the kids wanted to pet him we thought this solved the problem but it didn't he began meowing all day long outside our neighbor's house it was driving her crazy when she told me I explained that he had been meowing in the house so we put him outside thinking that that's what he needed and he had enough food and water we didn't know what his problem could be she said to me you should say to him which means I forgive you I forgive you I forgive you maybe he has a soul that needed that needed to obtain forgiveness and came back as a cat to your house in order to seek your forgiveness maybe all his crying is to get your attention I agreed to try it she said and a few days later when I was holding him on my lap on the porch I remembered to say it so I said three times and did this three times altogether suddenly he jumped off my lap which was very unusual usually he never wanted me to put him down and he ended up going to the porch door asking to be let out I had the distinct sensation that he was indicating that his business with us was finished it was just a feeling I let him outside and that was the last time I ever saw him we continued to put his food and water outside the door but it was left untouched my daughter-in-law said that during the time she heard a long cry a scream that sounded like him at night my neighbor told me the same thing we don't know what happened to him but it's been months and we've never seen him since this happened about three months ago and whenever I told people the story it made quite an impression on them but there's more to the story right before I left overseas about two weeks after the cat disappeared I was visiting my friend and was telling her the whole story and how I finally told the uh, cat and it suddenly disappeared and she told me that her cat too was making her crazy and he also jumped on the table took food from the table and even opened the oven and was meowing a lot so I suggested that she also say because maybe he was a soul that was seeking forgiveness from her right after I mentioned this I had to leave to get ready for my trip overseas after I returned two months later I went to visit my friend and I noticed that her cat wasn't there and she told me oh yeah that's right you've been gone so what happened she said, what happened was right after you left 
I told the cat, Machulecha, Machulecha, just like you said. And the next thing that happened was that as my family and I were standing in the street by the curb, we saw our cat run into the path of an oncoming car and he was killed instantly. What can I learn from these two stories? The message I take from this is that first of all, it really does matter what we do in our lifetime. If we have hurt or wronged someone, it's extremely important to make amends and ask for forgiveness. And of course, it's extremely important to treat people always with kindness and respect. Our deeds never go unnoticed. There is a seeing eye and a listening ear, taking note of every action. But I also understand that everything we say on this earth carries weight. Nothing is casual or of no importance. Every word counts. Because if the simple words of my friend and I to our cats, Machulecha, Machulecha, could free souls and absolve them of guilt, then our words every single day are very powerful. Please let us use our words wisely and speak kindly to everyone. Esther Malka Astok. Anyone that has questions on the story can email us at info at And if we see it's appropriate, we'll connect you with, the, uh, with, uh, with Esther, Miss Esther. When I saw her story, knowing what I know about reincarnation, it's, it's a, perhaps sets a different tone between reading about it from other people versus reading about it from people that you know. Um, I've seen lots of things, but each and every single time it has a new impression. Many times people think that their actions are going to be forgiven, overlooked, but the truth is otherwise. There's an endless amount of stories from our sages of what happens after this life. But you don't even need to go to the sages to know what a Kadosh Baruch Hu promises each and every single person that forsakes his Torah. If bribery is what's causing our communities and our leaders to, in essence, not tell us the truth, then at the very least, the first thing each and every single one of us needs to do is to check ourselves. If we expect a certain type of treatment because we give donations, if we do either stop donating until you do tshuva or do tshuva, and from now on, make sure you make it clear you do not expect anything back other than the truth. And even ask for the truth. Ask, do I need to fix something? Is there something that I'm doing wrong? Seek it like it's gold, it's treasure. Don't just wait for it because sometimes those people that have the truth may be too afraid to tell you because you're a donor, because you're a financier, because you are an influential people influential person so the first thing people need to do is to check does their donation come with a price if it does it's you that needs to do tshuva more so than the leader itself on the other hand 
there are many people that have simply expectations that are unreasonable. You expect the rabbi to call you. You expect the rabbi to meet you. You expect the rabbi to socialize with you according to your standards and not according to his system. Why? Because you feel like you deserve certain treatment. Although that may not be bribery, certainly it is arrogance. Certainly it's arrogance that typically precedes bribery. And you're already on that path. Another thing that a person needs to know is how is he or her or she maintaining their relationship with everybody? Especially people that are closest to you. Are you bribing those that are closest to you for their benefit or for yours? Bribing your kids to go learn Torah, that's bribing them for their good. But bribing your, uh, your uh, husband for, for him to do something for you, it's not necessarily always the, uh, the right thing to do. Bribing your friend in order for her to come to a shoe, that's bribing her for her. It's good. But bribing somebody to go tell the rabbi something that is not exactly the right thing not exactly the right thing so a person needs to manage and investigate each one of their transactions sometimes a person thinks that they're entitled to something because they volunteer they're entitled to something because they contributed in the past they're entitled to something because they are a long time member they're entitled to this and they're entitled to that it's not a good way to look at things if you're doing things in order to get entitlement it's not ideal to say the least each person should investigate are you allowing the truth to come to you or are you yourself paying for the border paying for the bribe so the first thing we should make sure that we are not the perpetrators of bribes to our rabbis and to any other relationship that we have second after we've investigated ourselves, then then we should investigate how everybody else is whether it be your local rabbi your local congressman your local teacher your local this your local that all of those other people are the people that you're listening to people that are are they only operating based on bribes if they only answer your questions and your needs because you write a check it's not ideal why who says disgusting that means that it's disgusting on both ends we should do whatever we can that's within our power to be pure vessels for HaKadosh Baruch to put the truth. Pure vessels for HaKadosh Baruch to put the truth because there's nothing more critical than the truth. If we have the truth and we live by it, nothing can hurt us. But the moment we allow 
lies, biases, bribes, falsehood, all types of things that are antithetical to the Torah. We allow those things to enter. We're destroying the truth. Sometimes it only takes a little bit of poison to destroy an entire lifetime of truth. Bezat Hashem, this too will give us the knowledge and strength to stand for the truth, even if that truth contradicts what we currently stand for that's against the Torah. Ba'uch Adonai Lo'olam. Amen v'amen.
אני מברך את הרבנים, רגע, 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 אני מברך את הרבנים, הרב ירון ראובן, הרב אפרים כחלון, ראשי ארגון בעזרת השם, שהלכו בפיוניון, שעלו מעלה מעלה, יהיה להם ברכה והצלחה, הקדוש ברוך הוא ימלא משאלות ליבם, לטובה ולברכה, שבכל אשר יפנו יזכירו ויצליחו, יזכירו עוד לעשות כאלה וכאלה, הודיעו תורה לאדירה, אמן ואמן. הוא היהודי הזה, הוא היה מיליונר, סגר את כל הביזנס, אמר אני משקיע פה בעולמה של תורה. איפה הוא גר? בפלורידה. פלורידה, איפה זה פלורידה? אמריקה. כן, ליד. אנחנו שם עכשיו הולכים להקים קהילה ספרדית גדולה. קהילה ספרדית גדולה.